1974 at 700 WWE. Mike McConnell, guest co-author of Unfit for Command. Uh, Jerry Corsi, he would be. Many more books on the way. Two bookstores, and uh, should have better luck getting them next week. Also, two book signings coming up in Akron and Canton over the weekend. Before we wrap things up, we'll mention those uh, two locales once again. And uh, just talking here in the in the course of the break as to John Kerry's specific impact on the, the, the attitude toward war. I mean, when he was still in Vietnam, the anti-war movement in this country had become mainstream to the point where Nixon actually won election based on his secret plan to end the war and get us out of there. Wasn't this country quite fed up with Vietnam long before John Kerry ever came on the scene? Well, it was, uh, Nixon still came on with some very strong support. And you'll recall Nixon uh, won re-election in, in a landslide against George McGovern in 1972. McGovern had an anti-war platform. The country was by no means in support of the anti-war platform. Yeah, but McGovern had other baggage. Yes, but overwhelmingly, the Americans were still in 1972 in support of the war. What happened was that John Kerry probably gave the defining speech of his life, uh, the one he's going to be most remembered for, which is in April 1971, when he testified before the Fulbright Committee and accused the Vietnam military of war crimes. Now, specifically, he was basing that on the Winter Soldier investigation, which the Vietnam Veterans Against the War held in Detroit. Right. The testimony to that was, has subsequently been shown to be mostly lies and fabrications. Um, yes, there were war crimes committed in Vietnam, as in every war. This Toledo Blade story that has been referred to by Kerry and his, his camp, yes, there were atrocities. But the atrocities were not approved by the American military or the chain of command. They should have been reported and would have been investigated. The vast majority of the American military in Vietnam, over two million people, two million Americans, were there to do an honorable job and fought for democracy and freedom. Uh, many times, and I think if you talk to Vietnam vets, they'll tell you, many times following the rules of engagement, they suffered casualties because they were restrained. And the troops that fought there need to have that honor defended. John Kerry insulted them all, and he's the father of the Vietnam baby killer and war crimes myth, which just is a lie. They're isolated incidents, but they cannot be blown into being the everyday occurrence. Right, but what John Kerry is doing in front of the committee is quoting what others said in Detroit. It's not an accusation made on his part. If I tell you something that may turn out to be untrue, but you pass it along to someone else, you did not lie to them. You simply passed on to them something I told you. Right, and as Bob Dole pointed out to John Kerry, he said it on Fox News yesterday, that John Kerry, as a lawyer, should know better than to advance hearsay testimony, which is the word somebody else told him, without authentication or affidavits, which is what he did, before the Senate of the United States and testimony under oath. Now, that's, that is an extension of any principle of documentation beyond the limits of belief. John Kerry did not experience war crimes when John O'Neill, in the debate with Dick Cavett, said to John Kerry, well, tell me the ones you saw. Uh, John Kerry couldn't list a single one. Even John Hurley, who is coordinating Vietnam veterans for Kerry, he himself, and this is on the Internet, worldnetdaily.com yesterday, John Hurley, in Tour of Duty, the campaign biography for John Kerry, John Hurley said the 69th Engineers in Vietnam committed war crimes. 
Well, the 69th engineers organized through Tom Pardue. They interviewed everyone, and they've got from John Hurley a retraction of that statement and a statement from Brinkley that he was going to revise the book because even John Hurley still today is lying about war crimes. There were isolated instances of war crimes, but they were not everyday occurrences. The everyday occurrences were honorable Americans fighting in Vietnam under valor, truly fighting for freedom and doing it under the rules of war, following those rules of war. That's the truth. Yeah, I've, I've heard John O'Neill's response to those who allege that uh, those responsible for the book are just shills for the Republican Party. In fact, his, that was his response this morning in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, your response to those who make the same accusation? Well, it's just silly. I was raised a Democrat. Uh, my father was a uh, labor union man for the Brotherhood of Railroad Trainmen. He participated in creating the United Transportation Union. He did that directly with Lyndon Johnson. When um, one of the photographs in our family has been most treasured is my father shaking hands with Lyndon Johnson. Uh, I was asked to go to work, do advance work for Nixon in 1968. I refused. I didn't want to work with Nixon. I went to Harvard instead. Uh, I've not been politically active. Uh, I, in my current time, as I've grown older, I've gotten closer to the Republican Party, closer than John O'Neill has. John O'Neill is still uh, really uh, independent. Mm -hmm. He voted for Gore. He voted for Perot. He's gone on the record as that. So the, the Swift vote vets for truth are composed of all flavors, so independents, liberals, Republicans, Democrats. The group would not have come together if uh, John Edwards had been the Democratic Party candidate. That may have been the better candidate right. for the Democrats. Well, I have about uh, 15 seconds. So your two signings in Akron and Canton are... Well, the first one is on Route. It's at 11 o'clock at the Barnes and Noble on Route 18 in Fairlawn, right off of 77. That's the Medina Road. 11 o'clock Barnes and Nobles. Then at 3 o'clock in Canton at Borders on the Strip. 3 o'clock Canton Borders on the Strip. Okay, should be lots of uh, books in stores by next week. Uh, Jerome Corsi, I appreciate your time and I guess continued success with it. Thank you, Mike. You bet. It's coming up. Don't contend. I mean, John, John Kerry certainly did bash the vets. But uh, as far as saying he somehow was responsible for the anti-war movement, now it's, that sentiment was in full swing. Really, even talking to Jerry Corsi off air, he admitted it really started in '65. That's you know, it was full six years before John Kerry came along. It was a long war, it really was. Uh, to those who didn't have a chance to get with the guest, but a point to make anyway, a sell. Mark, what's going on? Hey, how are you, Mike? Doing okay, thank you. Hey, I got a compliment and a comment. I want to compliment WLW for fair and balanced treatment of the Republican Party. Right in the middle of an interview with one of the most right-wing apologists out there, you guys did a great rip on our uh, erstwhile prosecutor and his uh, dalliances in public. So I thought that was pretty fair and balanced on the Republican Party. I thought it was damn funny the first time I heard yeah, it, too. Funny as heck, yeah. Uh, beyond that, you know, uh, in terms of the Vietnam War and whether we won or lost, you know, I don't know why we're still arguing the point. We won the Vietnam War in the long term because Vietnam is a growing uh, economy, a, becoming a great trading partner with increasing freedoms, which is all we really wanted. And guess what? We didn't have to pour billions and billions of dollars into that country for a couple of decades to keep them afloat. They did it themselves, and we didn't have to be there. It was a shameful military loss, but beyond that, we won the war. So why are we still... Well, I mean, it wasn't a shameful military loss because...
because we just we didn't fight that war as it could have been fought. The, the, the problem with the Vietnam War was that the premise was to stop the spread of communism throughout Southeast Asia. And when we pulled out, communism did not spread through Southeast Asia. Right, exactly. And communism ended up imploding on itself, as any smart person would have known it would have anyway. So, you know, at the end, you know, we came out the victors. And, you know, like in Iraq, we're going to spend billions of dollars propping them for a decade. We didn't have to do that in Vietnam. So it was a pretty good deal. Well, Iraq could be back on their feet short, uh, sooner than we think as well. That would be very nice. I wish nothing better than that. All right. Thanks, Mike. Mark, have a good day. Online, I guess. David, San Francisco, what's up? Yeah, how are you, Mike? Fine, you know, thank you. Uh, I do agree that, uh, Kerry, when you were mentioning the start of the war and the start of the anti-war movement in 65, uh, the actual start of the war, as far as the MIA people are concerned, the war started in 1946. Uh, the, the, as you may know, France was a colony, or France held Vietnam as a colony, right. and the Japanese invaded before World War II. And the French wanted their colony back after World War II, and Ho Chi Minh begged the United States to help. He begged, uh, uh, Franklin Roosevelt to to uh, help make sure that that uh, they became an independent country of their own, and this was the entire Vietnam. There was no North or South Vietnam, and and FDR turned him down flat. Ho Chi Minh, you know, was not a communist at that time, and so since the French were going to invade, he, uh, I think, the Russians, uh, Soviet Union was trying to take all their guns away. Excuse me, take the guns away from their troops, so they wouldn't have a revolution. So after, uh, since Fr uh, Russia was loaded with guns, uh, Ho Chi Minh was able to get a bunch of them cheap, and then they, the United States was able to declare that, uh, and the French were able to declare that the uh, that the Vietnamese were communists in some way. But they, uh, the idea that the war started in 1946 is much more accurate, and uh, they wanted their freedom. Well, we're talking about Americans dying in a foreign land and those back at home getting fed up with it. The start of the anti-war movement was oh, around 1965. Yeah, now, that, then uh, you get into the other, and this is what I wanted to ask him about, because there were a whole lot of similarities between Vietnam and Iraq today. There's a lot of bait and switch. You know, I just uh, described the bait and switch about how they were supposed to be communists and all this. The other thing is the heroin. There was a huge amount of heroin up there. Organized crime loved the Golden Crescent, uh, or the Golden Triangle up there, and they sure loved the Golden Crescent, that there's a lot of heroin that's going to be coming out of Afghanistan. There's a lot of issues about oil and, and uh, sweatshops uh, that these corporations who are going to sell out America, send our uh, work overseas to these colonies of America that we're invading. And, and uh, now, we don't have co colonies, and we already ship our work overseas. We don't need more sweatshops. You can sweat, sweatshops can crop up wherever it's economically viable to have a sweatshop, and sweatshops are not inherently bad. Well, I'll tell you, oh God! You mean two cents an hour in a country that that has a higher man? I that sounds no. I mean, if it's if it's not a good job there, they don't apply for the job. Just as if it's not a good job here, people don't apply for the job. If that's a good job in that country, people apply for the job. Uh, I I don't agree, and I, I'll tell you what. I, I don't know how you could disagree. If it's not a good job, they wouldn't apply for it. Well, they pretty much shoot you to death if you don't go to work, right? In, in no, the, no, 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 not at all, not at all. 
all. You live in a hazardous waste dump. You're gonna you're gonna be living. In no, actually, you have people whose uh, whose option, if they don't work in the sweatshop, is to go dig garbage all day. Those are the people who appreciate a good okay, job so in what you will call a sweatshop. I'm glad you said that. So you have your option. You can work for a sweatshop or you can live in the garbage pile. That Correct. And and if you read the stories of some of these people, the notion of having a day off is new to them. They work six days a week, but they used to pick garbage seven days a week. The notion of having a day off and money coming in is is just, is is an epiphany for them. That this is an aspect of life they never even entertained before. Then you have Americans, and for the most part, union types who think we're going to bring these jobs back here. Who keep pointing out how evil these sweatshops are. So these these are good jobs. Been going on. You mean how how many years? Uh, how many centuries had these people been living uh, in in peace and harmony without uh, living in garbage dumps before these? No, they they've been living in garbage dumps for a long time, and in some cases, people starve in areas where today we have sweatshops. Well, I, I think that you're living in a dream world, but I think that the the whole. But David, I mean, even yeah, there's a so-called sweatshop in Vietnam. Back to that, and I saw. I mean, they did make a big deal of it. A woman simply profiled on ABC News about a year ago, and the point was that what she makes there is chump change compared to what people make here. But she makes about one and a half times the average income of a, of somebody who lives in Vietnam. And they That's showed her tooling around town. They have minimum. Yeah, no, 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 no. It's true, David. You have to look this stuff up. It might not sound like a lot of money there, but if, if it to, to us, rather. But to them, if that's a good living, they'll take a job in a sweatshop. It's not a good living. It's not even minimum wage for their own countries. And the fact is is that these co these companies, these sweatshop companies, <laughs> are strong-arming. They've created dictatorships that don't enforce their own minimum wage. David, I mean, you have to understand these things, these doors swing both ways. If you, if you have a German automaker that opens a plant in Alabama, and the average German automaker with benefits is making around $37 an hour. Well, in Alabama, it's more like 20 Now, a German might be saying, you're going to make people in Alabama work in, a, in an auto plant for half of what we make over here. But the question is, is $20 an hour a good job in Alabama? And the answer is yes, $20 an hour is a good job in Alabama. By the same token, a dollar an hour can be a good job in Vietnam. And this is what you're not weighing into the into the yeah, equation. Yeah, they don't make a dollar an hour in Vietnam. They make more like 18 cents. And the and the the idea again, it depends on what 18 cents buys you in Vietnam. Dave, we've got a long time. I'm late for this pause. Don't be a stranger. Got about 17 away from 10 o'clock. 700 WLW. I'm all accused of bias. It's now racial bias. How you doing, Mike? Doing okay. Thank you. Okay. Well, I'm not a, a big Kerry fan. Uh, you know. He doesn't impress me, but nor does uh, the, the, the sitting president who doesn't have a great deal of foreign policy experience and didn't really accomplish much on his own before he was put into office. Well, he has his foreign policy experience now, but go ahead. Okay. Uh, but it's, the last uh, caller, he sort of stole my thunder. He, he was, As far as what I know, he was accurate about the fact that way, way back, Ho Chi Minh uh, went to the United Nations and went to other people for help because the, the Vietnamese people had historically been in a struggle uh, with China for years, you know, for their, their own... Uh, you know their ethnic uh, you know, national national group. They'd been in a fight, and, and he went to help. He was he was trying to, uh, you know, just I guess to, to lead his people uh, you know, out of that that struggle with China and other people, and he was refused. And, and so yeah, we uh, refuse people people who are looking for help all the time. And when we give them help, the same Americans say, "There we go, police will know the world again. Why can't somebody else do this?" Well, I know, but I'm, well, no, well, I'm not going to blame America for Vietnam woes in the 40s. I'm not. Uh, okay, you're going to start. What I'm saying is that uh, 
the fact that people opposed the war in Vietnam, it was just a policy that somebody made. You know, Lyndon Johnson or whoever at that time decided we're going to go after this because of the domino theory. It, it, it was wrong. And, and a lot of people opposed the war. And, and, and if, you, if you look at the history, the war was wrong. And so a lot of these young men were there fighting. No, you can't say the war was wrong. I mean, you have a foreign policy. If your foreign policy is specifically to stop the spread of communism, and you have every reason to believe that if South Vietnam were to fall, then Laos goes next, and, and the domino theory kicks in, then it's not wrong to do anything about it. Now, you could say, in hindsight, it did not spread, okay, but that doesn't mean the war was wrong. I mean, if it matched your foreign policy and the goals you would set for this country, it's not wrong to act on your set policy. I guess my only point is when there's the authors of this book are arguing that, that you know we could have won the war. Well, you know that's not even the point. The, the war we can see in hindsight that it was it was wrong. Uh, I know people that were maimed and, and uh, blinded and lost limbs in Vietnam. I, I'm younger than that, but you know I knew people, and it, it's a tragic thing. And uh, you know the. Uh, the fact that they're bringing this into the presidential election is just very emotional. They're just trying to get people stirred up. That, that's all I have to say. Well, Kerry started it. Have a good day. A pause. 9.53, Mike McConnell till noon, 700 WLW.